This is the Oanda Podcast. Brought to you by Jazz FM's Business Breakfast. Welcome back to the Oanda Market Insights Podcast. Brought to you with the Jazz FM Business Breakfast and available on iTunes and wherever you find your podcasts. I'm Johnny Hart. Each week, we review the stories that made the business and market headlines. This deal delivers what people voted for, and it is in the national interest. If we do not move forward with that agreement, nobody can know for sure the consequences that will follow. If you look at the deal, our tariffs will be set by the European Union, and it would be illegal for us to offer lower tariffs. This is not Brexit. This is a failure of government policy. It needs to be rejected. I'm very worried about sterling. I think that the Bank of England is going to have to be ready to raise interest rates if we have another the track on sterling, because the last devaluation has cost a lot of people a lot of money. It's lowered living standards. Already, the economy is being badly damaged by the terrible uncertainty. And today, we're once again joined by our regular commentator, Oanda Senior Market Analyst, Craig Earlham. How are you doing? I'm pretty exhausted after this week, to be honest. Indeed. What a week it's been. The drama of the battle of Brexit hitting new heights. Prime Minister just about uh, managing, see what I did there, uh, (laughs) to keep her job after a a rollercoaster a few days. And you realise how volatile everything is, don't you, when you look at the performance of the pound. That is a pretty good indicator to the topsy-turvy political and economic uh, situation that we're in. The pound has been sensitive to these Brexit talks, understandably, for months now. But recently, it really has gone to another level. The pound could drop 5 to 10% in the event of a no deal quite quickly, and you could probably see it rallying 5 to 10% in the event of a good deal being signed uh, also. So it's not surprising that we are seeing it so sensitive, but it's just how sensitive it is to seemingly almost irrelevant things. Even in the middle of the week, we had the police minister, most people couldn't even name them, uh, claiming that Theresa May was no longer holding a press conference after a cabinet meeting the the pound fell 100 pips that's a significant move on the back of a previously unknown person making a comment that's being reported so it's not directly even on tv or in the news a reported comment moving the pound so significantly so it, it really has been extremely sensitive and all you again have to do is look at yesterday it looks as though we've got a deal over the line. The cabinet's apparently given its backing on Wednesday. Yesterday, we get the resignations of Dominic Raab, the Brexit secretary, the second Brexit secretary Theresa May has lost uh, in just a number of months. We had uh, Esther McVeigh, who's the um, work, and pensions. work and pensions minister. She uh, resigned shortly after. Again, that not too much of a surprise. There's been That's been touted for some time. And a number of junior ministers, etc., followed suit. The pound really fell off a cliff at that point because all of a sudden, people were talking about potential challenges to Theresa May. Again, something that has been alluded to also, the number of letters apparently calling for a confidence vote are really now starting to rack up. And I think that this weekend and early next week could see things really escalate on that front. The pound's been extremely sensitive. I really don't expect that to change. Thursday was the most volatile day because of those resignations and doubts over the Prime Minister's future and indeed the government's future. The highest level of volatility since the referendum in June 2016. It all seems like a very, very long time ago. 1.7% against the dollar, 1.9% against the, the euro. But I should say um, it has steadied uh, as we sit now on a Friday afternoon. It has steadied today, partially helped by the fact that Michael Gove has seemingly put his support behind Theresa May, and this government continues. Of course, 
We've got a weekend to come. This time next week, we could be saying, as you've predicted on many occasions, <laughs> that Theresa May will be out of a job by Christmas. Eventually. Been reading some fascinating articles, very good one by Philip Collins, actually, in The Times. Yes, he said, this deal that Theresa May and Ollie Robbins have fashioned is imperfect, but compared with No Deal or abandoning Brexit, it's the best of you know three very bad options. And you get the... The feeling that maybe, just maybe, Theresa May or another prime minister could get this sort of deal through. My gut instinct still tells me that we are going to be sat here in two months' time. The deal will have got through Parliament. Everyone will be unhappy about it, but most people reluctantly vote for it because the alternatives, as you say, are just that little bit worse. There a is little a, bit worse. I think that's an understatement. Well, exactly. I mean, worse for their own reasons. Like A lot of people, I'm sure, would argue that another referendum and people changing their minds and voting to remain would be better because from, from a purely economic standpoint that we would be better off. But I would, seem, I, I would also argue that I remember 2016, it wasn't really a nice time to be in the UK. People debating, people uh, arguing uh, about Brexit, whether it's a good thing or a bad thing. And everything thing. was on hold, wasn't it? Everything, everything was uncertain. Was a good three months of it we had. And I, 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 it, was, it was a really bizarre period to be in this country. And I don't think I'd want to go through that again, simply for the fact as well that if we did then vote to remain, it doesn't really end the question because Brexiteers would then quite fairly turn around and say, well, we didn't campaign for Theresa May's deal. We didn't campaign for no deal. We voted, we campaigned for what we thought we could achieve in a deal. So the, the question's still open. We want another referendum. How many referendums can we have before you put this question to bed? But without wishing to get into the whys and the wherefores of this, uh, of this deal and what happened in 2016, when you actually look back at 2016, most of this deal is what people actually did vote for and did expect. Um, most people didn't even know what the customs union was. Most people didn't even know what the single market was. So, and you not know, once did I re- do I remember a mention of the Northern Irish border. Never. And the, and, and the, Perhaps the, Gibraltar, maybe. Exactly, yeah. and like, and that's turned out to be the biggest issue in in these entire negotiations. Exactly. Without that, then we wouldn't even be in this position. I think we'd be following quite a smooth process out, obviously yeah. on slightly worse terms than we currently have. But that is something that even Brexiteers would have acknowledged back then that the terms wouldn't be quite as good. Uh, but you're looking at the benefits elsewhere. I, I just think another referendum doesn't resolve any questions and therefore I think what we're going to see is yesterday in Parliament wasn't a, a, a true reflection of how this vote could go. Yesterday in Parliament, everyone wanted to stand up and criticise Theresa May for the deal that she's brought home for different reasons. That doesn't mean that they are going to vote it down. I complain constantly about a variety of politicians when why I dis- why I disagree with them on this and that and the other but when the election comes around I still vote for one of them because I think who's the best of a bad bunch in that situation sometimes you vote for who you just think is good but quite often people vote for who they think is the best of a bad bunch that's what MPs are going to have to do if this deal reaches Parliament and I, my gut instinct there's a variety of outcomes that we could be looking at here. we could see the DUP withdrawn from the confidence and supply agreement we could see the 48 letters being collected and Theresa May having to face a vote of no confidence in Parliament she could survive that which would seriously empower her she, if I'm not mistaken she couldn't face another no confidence vote for 12 months after that she would effectively receive the full backing or enough of a full backing of parliament to really push this to deal through that would still have to get the vote through though didn't wouldn't you you would the alternative is she gets a vote no confidence and what happens then because the the tories previously voted in a remainer 
to lead these negotiations. Who, what's to say that they won't vote in another Remainer to lead mm. these negotiations if she's replaced? Or do they go for a Brexiteer? Do they go for... So th- there's a variety of... Outcomes. I think the likely thing is, though, that is Article 50 will be extended. In stage. the event of a new prime minister, it would have to be a new prime minister with new ideas and mm. therefore the potential for Article 50 to be extended. And if we're going to go down that route, I really hope uh, that we do get a uh, Brexiteer leading these negotiations because I don't want to be sat here in 12 months' time in that scenario talking about the fact that another Remain, Remain voting MP has negotiated a deal that no Brexiteers agree with because otherwise we could just continually, continually face this situation so i think i say there's a new there's numerous uh, options on the table here for me i think the most likely is that either we get a vote in parliament and theresa may wins that vote and remains as prime minister or they hold off on putting these letters forward this vote goes to parliament it just about gets over the line because enough mps begrudgingly vote in favor of it because the alternatives are worse and we still head into march 2019 we exit the eu and talks about the future relationship begin let's be honest there's also the potential as well for tweaks to be made to this agreement but there is no chance uh, and again th- call this another prediction but i don't think this is a, bold, a particularly bold one there is no chance the eu is backing down on this backstop Let's move a bit closer to home, though, and talk the economics of this rather than the politics and talk about what effect this is having on Great Britain PLC, short, medium or indeed long term. What are you hearing out there in markets? I mean, there are a lot of companies who are sitting on a lot of money. They don't want to invest. This is going to affect things in you know the next six to nine months. These are dangerous times for the country. They are, but they're potentially opportunistic as well, you could argue as well, and I'm sure it'll, it depends on what side of the debate you're on. You could suggest that we, we, have, we can go out into the big, big, big wide world and we've got new potential trading partners, new potential trading opportunities. That's, of course, what the Brexiteer message is very much going to be. It all depends on how the next two or three months goes. And as you say, we have had a lull in investment uh, over the last 12 to 18 months by big businesses waiting to see where this position lies. If Theresa May's deal gets through, you could argue that this is a back of investment that could be uh, that could be acted upon which could provide a nice economic boost for the UK and welcome boost for the UK economy next year it really does just depend again how the next year what about goes. for people listening the speculators out there uh, who you know are constantly watching the markets wondering which to invest in gold currency whatever what advice would you give them we're living through very very uncertain times so there's nothing that I don't think many people can say with much certainty uh, in terms of what's going to happen. I My personal view with Brexit is that it is in no one's best interest for a no deal to happen. And yes, that threat needs to be on the table. You cannot go into negotiation saying that no deal isn't on the table. You remove and a certain amount of leverage. So I completely support the reason why Theresa May and her team had to leave that on the table and leave it as a realistic option. And if the EU calls our bluff... It has to be something that we can potentially fall back on. I think the near-term effect would be quite dreadful, to be quite honest. But we will survive. We, 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 that's clear. It just It's a certain amount of time. We would probably have a recession in that time. We could even have a prolonged recession in that time. We would survive. But that deal, that had to be on the table. My Again, my, my inclination is that because it's in no one's best interest, a deal squeezes over the line, a fudge is found, whatever it takes, this squeezes its way over the line, and when that does, 
and the volatility we ensue in the meantime could be quite significant as we've seen over the course of this week once that does i think that would be beneficial for the pound because you remove that element of uncertainty for businesses you create the two-year transition for businesses at least a two-year sorry at least a 21 month transition period i imagine longer because there's no way that theresa may is or anyone else is going to want to implement a backstop that puts up effectively a regulatory border between northern ireland and the rest of the uk so the option would be an extension of the uh transition deal while negotiations continue but that again provides assurances for uh, businesses and that for me benefits the pound and also we i think we would also see the uh, economic benefit that would come with that as well i have seen that there are plans for a potential no deal brexit but with short-term arrangements between the eu and the uk have you seen that i haven't seen that but i it is something that i've talked about before with other with people because it's again we have to remember that people like to think that we have these threats and it's this standoff and it's this tough negotiation but it would hurt us fast more significantly but it also hurts the eu to put up this border immediately and cause disruptions if we are heading for a no deal brexit i'd still think that it would be pretty dreadful for the economy but in the short term i don't think we're talking cliff edge like uh, as is currently being touted medicines in short aspect. supply um uh, aircraft not being able to fly that sort of thing it's in no one's interest yeah. for that to happen and let's not forget like we have services which we offer to the to the eu which uh which would they would be severely hampered by the finance the financial services sector for example the derivatives market the insurance market these are all sectors that the eu, EU companies use that if all of a sudden was cut off to them it would be devastating for them so the eu doesn't want this as well and let's not forget ireland is an eu member country they do 50 percent of their trade with the uk so if they are if that cut gets cut off ireland behind just slightly behind the uk would be significantly impacted from an economic standpoint it's not in the eu's best interest to put up that cliff edge scenario and therefore even in the event of an deal, while i still think it'd be dreadful i do think that there would be an arrangement so yes that makes complete sense to me let's change the subject a bit to uh, a bad week for shares in banks and house builders bad week for apple probably one of their worst weeks in recent times yeah i mean apple it's really come under the spotlight since they reported their results a couple of weeks ago. In their results, they alluded to the fact that iPhone sales have stalled effectively, that they haven't really risen, uh, and that they are actually going to stop reporting how many handsets they have sold in future earnings reports. Now, the reason why this is so important, we've got to remember that at the same time, they, invite, they, they, they reported a huge jump in revenue and a huge jump in earnings because the margins on their iPhones has significantly higher. Amazing, isn't it? What happens when you start charging more than a thousand pounds for uh, for a phone that your margins can potentially increase? But despite this, the fact that they've decided that they're going to stop reporting uh, the number of handset sold tells everyone that they believe that handset sales growth is going to either slow or stop altogether and potentially even reverse because they are so much now in the upper echelons of this uh, of this of this market that their market share is likely to be squeezed and the market share is also likely to be squeezed by the fact that we do have more competitors in the market now um huawei is a handset that uh, i i've never met anyone who had one of these phones in the uk this time last year that now i now i do this is a this is a brand that's massive in china that's now entering into alternative markets where they're competing with apple and a lot of these phones now look and act very in a very 
very, very similar matter in manner. So all of a sudden, people have options on the table where they can't really distinguish between. So Apple's looking at their margins. They're also looking at other aspects of their business, which they can monetize, which at the moment are quite small. I think their services business is something small, like 15% of their, their current earnings. And that we're, here we're talking about Apple Pay, Apple Music, Apple Store. But they're now looking to focus more on these areas of the business as a, as, a, as a way to generate revenue. But that doesn't stop people in the near term freaking out about the fact that, hold on, the part of your business which generates the biggest part of your revenue, you're not telling us these numbers anymore. That doesn't tell us that you've got much confidence. And now this week we had two of their suppliers, one that supplies uh, displays, I think they're called Japan Display, and one that... Um, uh, that that supplies the facial recognition software. I think they're called Lamentum. Uh, they both, the, the, the former reported uh, lower growth forecasts uh, for their earnings and the uh, Lamentum uh, reported that one of their biggest suppliers, and Apple is their biggest supplier, has told them that they're going to require far less shipping numbers going forward. So people have put these two things together combined with the reported earnings and said, hold on, this doesn't bode well for iPhone sales. And that's really hammered the share price. Let's go back to some UK data, Craig, and plenty of it, actually. Uh, let's go through some of these figures. Inflation, steady at 2.4%. Earnings, up to 3.2%. Unemployment ticks up as well. Uh, retail sales, down. What do we make of all those figures? Quite confusing picture, really. Yeah, and one that's really not been on people's radar this week. Naturally, people have been focused on other things, so the data hasn't really had a huge impact uh, on, on the currency or on other markets as it may have in the past. It's not really even engaged people's interest too much, but just certainly something worth touching on. Like you say, earnings uh, uh, earnings excluding bonuses were higher than, higher than they were. That's an encouraging sign for the economy. It's a sign of a tight labour market. It's good for people's work earnings. We've also seen this comes at a time when uh, numbers of uh, reported e EU workers um, having fallen um, o over the course of the past year, which suggests that we are seeing some workers move away, which creates skill shortages as well. So potentially that's supporting it. I still think there's a component of this, which is inflation rose so much last year that employers were forced to give employees higher wage increases uh, as a one-off in order to compensate for this higher inflation, which if inflation's fallen, will employees be so generous next year? I'm not so confident. Um, unemployment did tick higher, but I'm not reading into anything into this one-off reading. 4.1% is still extremely low. Retail sales did dip um, last month, but again, we came off the back of a really strong early summer, and I've been saying this for months now, the consumer squeeze is still happening. Yes, we've gone back into positive territory, but not too much, and we've just come off 12 months of negative real, real earnings growth. We had a really strong June, we had a really strong July, because we had really nice weather, we had that World Cup one, which got people outdoors, got people to bars and restaurants. It was natural that this was going to have an averaging off effect, which would admit, which means weaker numbers for the next couple of months, and we've seen that. Now we're heading into the Christmas period, I'd expect that to pick up again, because again, People are aware of the fact that, hold on, here we've got this summer where we spent loads of money. Here we've got Christmas where we always spend loads of money. It's time to uh, have a few weekends indoors and maybe go out a little bit less. Do you think the fall in the oil price will start to seep through in terms of uh, the cost of fuel at the pump? And that might help things bring inflation down a tad more, a bit more spending money as well. 
It will bring uh, overall inflation down. It won't bring core inflation down too much because uh, that's core inflation number comes with oil prices stripped out. And again, I think that was 1.9%. So we're still running at or around 2% here. So uh, it won't be. It won't have a too major influence there. Oil price. The thing about it is, it's extremely volatile. So we've uh, yes, we did see it drop off, but then also uh, up to about six weeks ago, we saw it rally up to eighty-five dollars a barrel again. So that will have to be factored in at some point. And now we're seeing it back at fifty, sixty. I don't think it tends to make uh, an enormous impact at the pump. So it, towards the start of next year, we could start to see that drop off, which could give people a little bit of extra money. But I don't think uh, I don't think it's going to have a dramatic impact for two reasons. One, I don't think the drop off was significant enough, like it was like like it was previously when it fell to forty dollars a barrel. And two, it wasn't sustained for very long, which suggests it won't be lower at the pump. And then you wonder whether suppliers at the pump are even going to drop costs that much if they know it's going to be a temporary measure. Italy's government, uh, Craig, uh, defied the European Commission on Tuesday by sticking to its big spending budget plan, and that will certainly risk uh, financial uh, sanctions in uh, a further standoff with Brussels. Uh, Despite pressure from the European Commission, which of course rejected Rome's budget outright last month, uh, Italian Deputy Prime Minister uh, has vowed to stand firm on the country's anti-austerity plans. This seems to be going on and on, doesn't it? Yeah, um, unsurprisingly, really. I mean, I did think they may have tweaked this budget. I thought they may have done something to appease the uh, the, Euro- the European Commission and try and like start this negotiation in a, in a in a slightly amicable manner, but also not offer too much to make themselves look weak. They have offered something, but it's not really that considerable. They've offered to sell private assets of up to 1% of GDP to ensure that their debt does fall. I don't think the European Commission is going to go for this. This is because they're still running. A, they're still running uh, the higher spending than they than the European Commission is comfortable with. The European Commission doesn't believe it's going to generate the kind of growth that the current Italy government believes that it's going to, and therefore they think they'll end up running a higher fiscal deficit, which they won't be able to respond to quick enough and bring down to a desired level. So I don't think it's going to be something that the European Commission are going to buy into. But they've got three weeks now to respond, um, to come up, to decide how they're going to approach this, whether they're going to put them into an excessive deficit program, which will involve them having more oversight on their budgets, whether they're going to follow that ultimately with sanctions at some point, which would involve fines of up to 0.2 percent of gdp which isn't too significant but it's about what the knock-on effect would that would be whether they want to engage in a battle at all with them who has more leverage um i guess is going to be the the thing about this the government believes that well we've got rising populism in this country there's rising populism across the continent you need to pay attention to us and let us spend a little bit more money that's what the people are demanding that's what the people have voted for if you want to go against us then you're only going to fuel this uh eurosceptic populist message uh, and that's true to an extent but a european commission doesn't necessarily need to do that because one thing that the italian government does have have going against that the european commission has on its side is the markets and right now bond yields in italy are at the highest levels they've been at in years the spread over what is seen as relatively risk-free german debt is at the highest it's been at in years and their debt is 130 132 percent of gdp so uh, even a slight uh, increase in the yield on this debt makes 
servicing that debt extreme far far more expensive so i don't think it's necessarily going to be the european commission that's going to force the italian government to back down i think at some point it's going to be the markets because as soon as investors lose confidence in italy's ability to do this and they see them being placed in an excessive deficit procedure etc then i think the markets will start to pull the rug from underneath them we will see yields increase and again we've got ratings agencies one of which holds italian debt stable but only one notch above junk uh, and the other one holds them two notches above junk but with a negative view if they both push italy into junk status that would have devastating effects for their yields and force the italian government to back down ultimately i do think it's going to be the markets which are going to force the move here rather than the rather than brussels it sounds odd to ask this question really but uh, what should we look forward to uh, next week uh, you can't really go further beyond what's happening at home uh, with the the Brexit uh, situation, uh, the possible possible fall of the government, uh, Theresa May's uh, resignation, and so on and so on. I, I can't really go beyond that at the moment. Can you? Yeah, I mean it's really difficult to look past these two topics. Now, don't get me wrong. Trump's been really quiet this week, and uh, the whole. Um, US-China trade war has been very quiet. I can, we can't possibly ho expect him to stay quiet for a second week. Uh, he has engaged in a nice war of words with his um, his uh, fellow uh, bromance colleague, yeah, um, Mr. Macron. Um, Emmanuel Macron. They, they, yeah. they seem to, that bromance seems to be dead now. But apart from that, he's been relatively quiet. So I don't think we can expect him to remain quiet for a second week. In terms of the pure economic standpoint, um, I think we've got an ECB uh, meeting minutes released next week. So that could be uh, potentially quite interesting, although I don't think we're expecting much from it. But apart from that, we've got a few medium to low level data points that we're waiting for. I think it's, again, I, I say this almost every week, it's all about the politics right now. And not no one is going to be paying attention to a medium to low tier piece of UK data when there's the threat that we could be having a vote to no confidence in our Prime Minister. So uh, I think it's politics, politics, yeah. politics, politics. You just have to watch the pound, really, to find out what's going on, don't you? Oh, I mean, quite quickly. It doesn't half move fast. <laughs> OK, Craig, well, enjoy a restful weekend. Try and get some rest if you can, because you've deserved it after what's been a very, very difficult week. Have a good one, and we'll speak to you again same time next week. Thank you. From the team behind Jazz FM's Business Breakfast, a daily early morning 30-minute briefing for the day ahead. On air from 6am. Listen to Jazz FM on DAB, online or just ask Alexa.